Once again, we uh, gather around uh, the old golf microphones for another episode of Swing Thoughts, the uh, program that actually has nothing to do with how to swing a golf club. It's all about the thoughts that come together to produce the chaos. Uh, my name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, Golf Spiritual Leader, along with Coach Tim, O'ConnorGolf.ca. And uh, some special guests uh, we'll get to here in a moment. Timmer, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. It's a lovely day. You could, you might even play golf if it wasn't an, an illegal activity in this. That's part. right. If we weren't living in, uh, you know, in World War II. Uh, but uh, we'll get to all of that. Uh, timeless fashion for the golf lifestyle. Uh, thanks to Jonathan Wong Apparel. Uh, that's the clothing sponsor of Swing Thoughts. Just, I know you and I have been going through some of the uh, catalog this week looking at shoes. It's unbelievable what well-dressed people wear <laughs> versus what what I wear normally. Although I do, I like my tailor-made t-shirt. But uh, were you not just blown away by all the stuff that uh, that Jonathan Wong represents, the, uh, the brands? They just... I don't know anyone who dresses like that, but soon you and I will be. I know. It's all, all high-level stuff. And I'll always be nervous at the turn when I order a hot dog. <laughs> no, I know. Mustard. It's funny you say that, because I uh, I was looking at some of the clothes. I'm like, I, this is just going to get dirty. I'm just going to... I'm always wiping my hands on my shirt. Uh, anyways... I'm enough to wear a pair of <laughs> No, <level>. exa- <laughs> exactly. I mean... Uh, anyway, because I, I do, I wash my own clothes. Um, also, we want to thank our friends, as always, uh, for many years, TaylorMade Canada. And uh, just before the government took golf away from us, the day before, it's a true story, I didn't tell you this last week, my Sim 2 driver arrived. Me too. <sighs> yes. Where, do you know, where is yours right now? Because I'm going to tell you where mine is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. At least it's in your office. You know where mine is? It's in the living room. <laughs> I just have it. I knew. Rachel's not here, so I just had it in the living room. I just was watching golf last night, and every once in a while, I just look over at the sim, too. I'm like, it's it's okay, buddy. <laughs> we'll get we'll get there. What about your golf lab? Are your, oh, yeah. Golf lab. High enough? No, no. It, it's funny. It's not called golf lab anymore. Rachel calls it golf nursery. <laughs> she says, it's like she says are you gonna go up to the golf nursery and uh, she says that because we have i have one chair in there and it's the chair that we used to when our kids were little it was like the rocking chair and i i don't know i just like having it in there it makes me feel good you're soothing yourself now that you're deprived exactly um if you're uh, lucky enough like we are to get the sim 2 driver if you haven't you should check it out experience the drives every golfer wants to hit and no golfer wants to follow with the all-new sim 2 driver only from TaylorMade. and visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn more uh in the coming weeks we'll tell you more about the irons uh, i've got the driver i've got the hybrid and the three wood i actually got a chance to hit the hybrid and the three wood in there um they had that Whatever that thing that makes the ball jump off the face is pretty good. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We uh, thought we'd have a little uh, Swing Thoughts roundtable with a couple of friends of ours that have been listening to us and have been, you know, working with us, golfing with us. Uh, You may remember um, my friend Rudra Rishi Maharaj, one of the very first times we ever had a roundtable of golfers. We invited Rudra. Always a pleasure to have you. His company is called Gig Sky. uh, And uh, anyone that listens to both of our shows knows that Gig Sky has been a longtime sponsor of the Humble and Fred show. And Rudra was just telling us before the show that they have uh, this little device. It's called a hotspot that can provide provide uh, Wi-Fi. But in your case, you guys are providing some Wi-Fi for kids that don't have it, that are remote learning in Montreal. So welcome, Rudra. Well, good morning, Howard. Good morning, Tim. Morning, Ronan. Uh, good to be here. And Tim, why don't you introduce our other good friend, Ronan Quinn. Yeah, well, um, Ronan, like Rudra, has been what we call a friend of show right from our humble beginnings. Um, And we heard Ronan and I were talking earlier this week that in our first round table, we had a bunch of uh, guys and he was there. And so it's really fun to reconvene. And Ronan is um, a teacher at, uh, I think it's Mount Carmel, and he teaches kind of what old guys like me would just call media arts, how to do stuff with communication and, and use this digital world. And uh, so uh, welcome welcome to the show, Ronan. Why don't you introduce uh, your guests today? Yeah, well, thanks, Howard. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Rudra. Nice to see you guys again. And uh, I'm very lucky to have my uh, my group. Actually, I have a careers class, a brand new group of kids. They're all grade 10s, and they're very excited to be here. I don't know if they can say hello. Can you guys say hello? Hi. There you go. There's a few kids. But anyway, so they're listening in, so we need to be on our best behavior. Yeah. I, I, best th- behavior. Well, you say they're, guy, they're grade 10s? Yeah. I guarantee you half of them are watching uh, Big Mouth on their phones. <laughs> see, no, if that, great see if that you got guys, a laugh. You'd be, you'd be surprised. I'm not. Surprised. Listen, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised because you're, uh, you're an inspiration. I'm sure you're an inspirational teacher. You're a very lovely fellow. Uh, we thought we would. I, I said to Tim, why don't we get these guys on and we can have a conversation for the first part of the show today about obviously the the big uh, golf announcement last week was that the government of Ontario, the only jurisdiction in North America where you can't golf today is here. So, you know, I know what I think about it. Maybe, you know, Tim, what do you think about it? And then we'll find out what the guys are, are doing kind of what you think about what we because we all know it's it's crappy but uh then we can maybe talk about what we're going to do to keep the golf going during this time yeah well um i i'm not going to get too much into the politics all of it, it it all but i think just the government overreacted uh, just let's shut all this stuff down oh except manufacturing plants and warehouses um so this is kind of a big shock, and uh, I think some of it was the optics of golf. I think there's still a lot of people perceive golf as this, um, you know, old rich white guys, uh, you know, in bad pants, um, and you have to pay to go on this lovely green space. So I think it was very easy for the government to knee jerk and do it. But uh, heck, it was a, a it was a shock to me. Uh, certainly, a big disappointment as a golf nerd someone who works in the golf industry, um, it's like, oh my gosh, 
Now I have to do stuff around the house. <laughs> That's right. There's no excuses. Rudra Rishi Maharaj, a, a very fine golfer. Uh, I believe close to, I'm not sure if you're a single digit, but close to a single digit player, avid player, but but also a man of the world. What did you think when you heard about it? Um, well, I, uh, I failed to comprehend the confluence of thoughts that came together that resulted in closing down the golf courses. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that they have for um, transmission of the COVID uh, uh, virus. And the evidence that they have from last summer is that golf courses imposed zero uh, transmission of the virus. So, uh, you know, they're making a lot of decisions. And um, uh, I think that uh, they seem to have uh, uh, one you tool to uh use and that being a sledgehammer so every problem is a rail spike okay um and uh, ronan quinn uh also a very fine player i'm i'm sure you're got to be low single digits you're four five three something i have no idea what is your sure. uh, it's in it's in uh, that around, range around there yeah yeah you're in that range <laughs> Like everybody, like disappointed, like you, you, you felt like you were getting uh, going, especially if you had some, I know Howard, you had, uh, and Tim had some tournaments lined up and you were sort of getting into your rhythm. And even though it's extraordinary times and we feel very fortunate every time we get to do anything golf related, the fact that it kind of everything just was put on and just stopped on a dime. And it was it was very, very it was kind of jarring and um uh, and confusing in a lot of ways. Uh, the the one thing I have been paying attention to a lot of the the feedback, especially online, is actually the amount of support um, and the, the the dialogue has been actually pretty good in terms of I think golfers starting to articulate why they like the game, why they enjoy the game, and the range of voices. It wasn't just like you say the old white rich white guys there was you, you got to really see there, there's a large community of people from all kinds of backgrounds all kinds of socioeconomic and especially i work with young people the amount of people with kids who are disappointed because their kids were starting to get into it and the idea that that that, that that's been taken away is um yeah kind of sad you know that's exactly what i've seen online that that's a great point actually because the the reaction hasn't just been from the cohort that we described that golf has this image of being a privileged uh, sport, but the reaction I've seen has been varied, as you said. You know, here's a couple of numbers I'll throw at you in terms of the the efficacy of the, as what you were saying, Rudra, about the transmission. There was 20 million rounds of golf played in Ontario last summer with zero on-course transmission. And the day after the lockdown, you know, I went for a walk with my uh, friend Rachel and we were looking in this park and all all that was in the park were basically couples with dogs, except for about 10 guys playing soccer, young, you know, young men in their 20s. And so they were doing the opposite of what golfers do. They weren't social distancing. They're playing a game where there's a lot of potential for transmission. But the point I'm trying to make is it was unregulated. It was just a random game of guys playing a game, whereas we all know from our golf course experience us at club link rudra at the courses you and i played together there's protocols in place so here you had this regulated industry that had zero cases of covid 110,000 people work in it and there's a mental i think there's a mental 
price to be paid for taking it away, especially after, you know, we, I know we had a mild winter, but we're Canadians. We're conditioned to get out. <laughs> we need to be out now. So that's what I think. I think I think what you said, Ruja, it's a sledgehammer. But I think they it, it was all for optics, even though they have found out in the last seven days that the optics were unnecessary, I think. Yeah, well, one of, one of the things that um, has really come so clear in the last week or so is that the uh, the Ford conservative government was not listening to the experts. And the experts said, close down indoor gathering places, workplaces, because that's where the transmission happens. Yeah. It's not, to Ruja's point, it's not happening outdoors. The other thing, the mental component of this is that golf uh, walking in a park uh, doing all these outdoor activities that is required for to give us respite i mean you know we're over a year into this pandemic uh, people are suffering from fatigue isolation and what things like golf provides is a sense of connection uh, doing something together mm-hmm. and that is so needed in a, a in a time when people are feeling a lot of stress and particularly isolation, and just to finish up, I mean, like you said, Howard, the the nice thing about golf is that there's protocols. Yeah, all the golf clubs, public, private, have a these rules in place. Twenty minutes before, as soon as you're done, you get the heck out of here. So it was a really yeah, ill-considered uh, sledgehammer, as Rudra said. So, my question to you guys as a group, and we'll go around starting with you, Rudra. Uh, they say May nineteenth is will will be the end of this. Whatever, I, I've lost track of waves and lockdowns. I honestly, I was just talking to a buddy of mine, that li- Bray. I was talking to a friend of mine that lives uh, in France, and uh, you know, it's been six months there of basically this type of lockdown. So guys, I, I have, a, I'm in a golf pool. I, I say it'll be over before May, uh, May, May 19th. My over under is May 1st. What about you, Rudy? When do you think it'll be over? Uh, I, I'm not so sure about May 1st, uh, as that's just next week. But yeah. Certainly by the Victoria Day long weekend, I expect that it'll be open. Well, that's when they say it's going to be yeah. open, May 19th. Yeah. I think it'll be open yeah. sooner. Uh, Ronan Quinn, what do you think? I think it'll be really, I, I think when we start seeing uh, those daily numbers uh, sort of trend, I think it's going to be incumbent on that because I think he needs he needs an excuse. And I think if numbers are going down and it gets a little bit of positive uh, feedback, uh, that when and only when when that when that happens, I think. Tim, yeah, I have a really hard time. I uh, right now because they capitulated on uh, the police, you know, stopping everybody for for walking around. Uh, what else do they give in on? Oh, they opened up the playground, yeah. but they gave in on yeah, that the up. next day. Yeah, so. I, I, I think they don't want to certainly look weak by giving in, if you will. But I think, uh, to Ronan's point, if the numbers start to come down, I think that they'll go, okay, cool. This is working. And they'll flip it to say, see these good things that we yeah. did. Now we can open up again. The irony is, excuse me, the irony is the numbers already came down this week. And nothing to do with golf. Um, of course. Um, I, I This friend of mine that I was talking to, his... Uh, one of my best friends, his wife is my agent and she's, you know, they're involved in the television and movie industry. 
And uh, I was telling him, I, I said, how's business? He says, it's unbelievable. See, one of the things that most golfers don't know is what they didn't shut down was movie and TV production. So I drove by several different sets this week. So you've got people in, and, and I don't begrudge them, but you've got people indoors gathering in a group. Yes, everyone on the set has been tested and there's protocols in place, just like golf. There's regulations in place, but that industry wasn't shut down. So that's my beef about the Ford government is, wait a second, you shut down millions of rounds of golf outside, but you're cool with 40 people on a set on Queen Street. So the over arching idea is that it's all optics because i will tell you most people i know you guys didn't know this but i guarantee you most golfers don't know that they didn't shut down tv and movies for the same reason which is industry i get it but most of us didn't know that well the contradictions are just all over the place yep and the thing that really the thing that really angered me about this was that the they weren't listening to the experts and that's the problem with people who who you know I'm projecting all over the place uh people who tend to be in the conservative realm whether small c or big c are connect are more attached to their way of seeing the world which tends to be dogmatic they have a way of looking at things black white and so the experts are often saying things that they don't agree with. They don't fall with in their frame of reference. So they disregard the experts. And that's, I think, that was happening in the U.S. Uh, big time uh, with the, the, orange, the, the orange fellow. Uh, but I don't want to name him, of course. Uh, but it's still happening is that this, this disregard for the experts uh, who tend to be looked upon as small L or big L liberal. Rant finished. So what are you guys doing? Um, I, as soon as, I mean, I, I like Ronan, you said, you know, already our season was underway. And, you know, I had a bunch of qualifiers that I, I guess will be canceled and some tournaments. And uh, but I was definitely I'd already played. You know, I played nine times between the end of March, which was the best summer day I remember. <laughs> there was one day I played it. I don't know about you guys. I played one day at Granite Ridge. I was telling Tim, it was like 20 degrees, no wind. I'm like, is this heaven? You know, it was uh, it's golfing in March. Am I? How about, but I was definitely well into my, you know, everyday routines and doing my golf stuff. What, what about you guys? What have you been doing, Rudra? Um, and to get ready and what will you continue to do? Uh, well, I didn't get quite nine rounds in, but I did get two in and, uh, speaking to, um, the protocols that you you were mentioning, uh, one of the courses that I played, they had a waiver that you had to scan a QR code when you got in on your phone and sign a waiver, uh, to, in order to get in and play. Otherwise you weren't allowed in. So, you know, the protocols are there. Um, now, having said that, though, to your question, Howard, like my situation is a little different than others is, you know, just over a year ago, I had uh, both my hips replaced. So uh, last summer, I uh, spent a lot of time just trying to get my strength back and, and things like that. Uh, and, and um, you know, uh, so I walked, I played maybe about 60 rounds last summer and walked uh, almost all of them. Um, but over the winter and what I'm doing now is, uh, uh, trying to go on my stationary bike, get my strength back in my legs Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, uh, simple little things like when you go to wash your hands, 
check your balance. Where's your balance on your feet? How mm. do you bend down to get to the sink? To if uh, you bend from your knees or bend from your waist? Things like that you can take to the golf course and say, okay, now my balance is on my feet in the right places. Um, I've also got some of the those uh, stretch uh, elastic bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, If I may may just interject, isn't that interesting that uh, that having to be aware of your hips, your new hips, because I played golf with you last summer and you're walking amazing. Isn't that interesting that that's made you more aware of your the balance in your body? But yeah, also, I've, I just got to interject. That is a golf nerd. Oh, He's yeah. working on his game while washing his hands. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, that didn't even phase me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's obviously. Uh, <laughs> I mean, dude, I, I'm, at, I'm pumping gas and going left foot. Okay, there's a little bit too much weight. And washing dishes. Good <laughs> I, I'm surprised that even you even caught that because I was like, oh, isn't that interesting? That I, So... Uh, <laughs> So you're getting ready for the golf season by being aware of your weight distribution while you're washing your hands. That is the nerdiest thing I've ever heard, but I love it. Exactly. Because, no, uh, you know, because prior to my prior to my surgery, right, uh, you know, my I had to do things with my swing. Yes. Because every time in the back of my head is this is going to hurt. Oh, yeah. So so it's really, you know, along with getting strength back is really rebuilding a swing last season. And and uh, things like balance, things like, uh, you know, where your hands are, are things that uh, I really had to work on. And, you know, through the winter, you know, can't do much else. So, uh, you know, making sure my balance is there and using these uh, stretch bands to, you know, hook on the door and just pull down as you as you would make your motion to pull down on your mm-hmm. uh, swing. Those are the things that I've been doing. I think you're forgetting one thing. You sent me a big, <laughs> didn't you send me a picture this week that you was, you're like, oh, grips are regret. You know, the grips are done. What about yeah. that? Yeah, I, uh, I went to this uh, one store to get my uh, clubs regripped and they said three weeks and I said, no, thanks. Uh, so I went online looked at a video yeah it's pretty easy did it all myself yeah i I regripped my irons this year too me and my buddy paul henrik went to his shop i i learned how to do it as a kid and got the double-sided tape and uh put the uh, put the grips on my tailor mates now ronan quinn you're an avid player uh what was your what was your winter regime and uh what will you continue to do while the lockdown is underway why well, I'm lucky enough. Uh, I uh, have a I work up at peak performance in the winter time. So normally I would be up there uh, at the end of November and try to get in there uh, around once a week and work uh, sort of with the uh, the foresight with the with the quad and sometimes a track man and kind of do that kind of work that you do in the winter time that you don't do when you're out playing. So I was able to get in there just at the tail end of the fall before the first lockdown. And then got a little bit of work in in uh, when they opened up in February, and then was very excited when they kind of closed that down. I kind of would the courses kind of open, so I've felt very fortunate to be able to work on to keep working on stuff and to start uh, you know sort of preparing, hoping preparing for a few for a few tournaments this year and. Um, you know, I've been I'm a I'm a decade guy like you are, Howard. So I've been deep diving, especially this week. You guys inspired me to actually take a little bit more look. And Dude, I've so, got a decade degree now. I've spent another ten hours this week just like decading, and I'm like, uh, honestly, I want to quit my job and go teach decade. That's my new thing. Well, that's the answer to the question. How yeah. are you dealing with the lockdown? I'm going to school. I'm, I'm going, going to, to decade school. school. 
Yeah, I, I was trying yeah. to. Well, it was funny though when when you explain to your significant others that you've just spent three hours, you know, watching a video about driver dispersion. They just sort of look at you like, "Did you have no time to clean?" I said, oh, no, "I can't. <laughs> I have no time to clean. I'm talking about shot patterns." What about that? What, what about that project? What about that thing we discussed about curtains and things? Yeah, and there yeah. you are. Delving into low point. Hey, um, but Ronan, it was interesting. Uh, I'd love to talk decade with you sometime, but but I've really, you know, w- was Tim and I took the seminar, and I, and I implemented some of the stuff, but I, it's been a great refresher, um, and, and we can talk about that some other time. But I was curious about your. You say you go to peak performance. Explain to people what that is, and then maybe tell us what are some of the things a player like you tries to do over the winter. Uh, well, peak performance is an indoor facility. It's up, uh, up in, um, up in Woodbridge. And, uh, I found it a few years ago when the golf dome in Mississauga was closed down. I was trying to find, I, I love kind of trying to do stuff every week, even if it's indoors and it's a really neat facility. You've access to all kinds of technology. They have a huge chipping green putting, so you can pr- pretty much work on every skill. And the great thing obviously with uh, working on, on, on launch monitors is you can do stuff like uh, gap test all of your clubs. So you understand how much you're carrying, how much you roll out and be able to get that kind of feedback that you don't necessarily get on the course. So I try to do a little bit of everything, uh, for me, flexibility, trying to keep, like Rudra says, balance, like the fundamentals, like that's the stuff that keeps you tied in. And then if you if you can, like adding a little bit of strength, uh, maybe adding, trying to see if you can add a little bit on uh, on the driver here and there and kind of like look at your shot patterns, like be able to hit 20 shots with an eight iron and actually see, okay, uh, I'm, I'm, I got a little bit of a draw going in there. And, that, and, and then with Decade, understanding that that is essential to understanding what you're going to be doing out on the course and uh, and that's it's it's really really useful as well and lots of short game lots of putting lots of chipping and uh you know thinking about like not just hitting balls but thinking like hitting shots rather than your swing and trying to picture a shot rather than just wailing away Mm -hmm. so now that golf has been ripped away from us and we're all pining you can't even do that stuff so, no. like, one of the things that I started to do again was start to um, chip in my hallway. And uh, so I, I have this routine is every time I come back upstairs, hit five balls, then I come back into my office. And uh, I've got my putting ruler thing back out again, Howard. Putting is that, that ruler to my little speaker target thing. Yeah, so, yeah. so, Howard and then Ruja and Ronan, what are you guys doing now? That, you know, because we can't go play golf. We can't even chip and putt outside or anything. What are you guys doing? Well, I'm, you know, I'm lucky because I live in a building. I've got a bunch of different floors. So on one floor, I've got the golf nursery, and that's for full swing. It's got a mirror. I've got lines. I've got uh, uh, alignment rods everywhere. I've got all my workout stuff in there. Downstairs, this is how much of a nerd I am. So while we were getting ready for the call, downstairs I've got my putting uh, station set up with a couple of alignment things. Uh, I've got a... um, you know, a uh, uh, thing that trains your your uh, eye line. I've got a thing that trains your stroke. So while I said, "Hey guys, I got to go get a coffee before the show," I, I went down and I hit five or six putts while I was waiting for the. <laughs> you also well, have I, that. Do you also have that tin cup thing that you put on the on your visor, Bill? No, no, smart guy. But I've had it. 
I've, I've told you that story. Let me tell you a quick story. So when that movie came out and uh, uh, what's his face? Kevin Costner comes out in the scene and he's got every golf gadget on him. He's got the thing on his cap. He's got a thing, a hula hoop around his thing. And he's got a bunch of other cords. My ex-wife turned to me in the movie and went, you have all those things. I went, I know, I know, Shh, I know. <laughs> So that's what I'm doing. I'm basically, I'm lucky because I have that. But the, the other thing that's really great for me is very close to my house, there's a, an enclosed easement. It's a residential easement between a residential and, a, and a, an industrial area. And it's about 300 yards by 50 yards. So every day I go out with the dog, I can take a full wedge, a gap wedge, even a pitching wedge and just hit balls back and forth. In fact, the other day, while people, you know, way at the end, people are walking their dogs. I've got my range finder, Ronan. (laughs) It's a true story because I'm trying to see what my gap wedge dispersion is. Yeah, that's why this show is the golf. <laughs> that's so. There's oh, and my dog's running around. I'm like trying to get the tree. Stop, stand, stop it! I'm trying to get the tree. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. In fact, even though it snowed this week, I still went out every day and did my little pitches and my chips. So, what about you guys? Before we let you go, so Ronan, what are you doing? So now that you can't go to peak performance, what are you doing between now and the end of I, you know the I, lockdown? I, I, I walk every day. I try to warn. I try to imagine that I've just hit a shot and I'm about to go to a shot. So I'm working with a brisk pace. Very nice. Uh, badly. My, yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, I mean trying to. I mean, I, I Tim and I talk all the time. I think the one thing if if and we always joke that what what would happen if golf was taken away from you? Like, what would you miss the most? And golf has been taken away. And I, I miss the walk. I really do. It's it's yeah. that being outdoors that that contemplation that ability to sort of connect with yourself especially if you're playing with other people and um and that's the thing that you miss most of all so i i I, whenever i can i try to boot out there and go for a nice long walk and and sort of imagine that even though i'm on 10th line in mississauga that i'm actually on a par four and i'm uh trying to trying to see where the hole is Rudra Rishi Maharaj, thanks for uh, joining us today. What are you doing uh, until the, uh, the until golf Christmas comes again? Well, uh, you know, to Roland's point, uh, you know, when the weather is good enough, I go out and take some walks. But uh, you know, keeping a fitness up uh, is in is very important. Obviously, to control your breathing, control your heartbeat, and things like that, so that uh, you know when you're on the course, you're you're not. Uh, you know, huffing and puffing at every shot or anything else, right? So you can calm your your heart rate down and calm your breathing down. But you know, uh, fortunately, I I have a, a backyard that's large enough that I can take 30, 40 yard chip shots and um, and practice there. So uh, I got my bag of found balls that I use and just put them down and chip them in, in the backyard. That's amazing. Well, listen, guys. That's awesome. Um, we want to thank you guys. This was the first part of our show where we're going to talk about the lockdown. Of course, the second half is more golf nerddom with the uh, coach and myself. Uh, Rudra Rishi Maharaj, thanks again, buddy. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Glad to participate. Uh, always Good a pleasure. And, and we'll get out uh, this summer. I've, I, I had a chance to play with Rudy, uh, I think, a couple times at the end of the season. And, uh, like, your your hips seem fine and you're walking fine. And, you know, what a great gift that is, for goodness sake. Absolutely. All right, man. Take care. Okay, thanks. And Ronan, uh, thank you. And uh, Ronan's class, hope you enjoyed this. Get off TikTok for crying out loud. 
Hope we're good boys. <laughs> yes, you are. Thank you, guys. Howard, we'll get out this year for sure. Yeah, Rona, now that we're... Let's do early in May or as soon as we can in May, all right? Absolutely. All right. the same club for guys. I know. It's, well, that was very, very late in the season. I kept trying to get a game with him. He's very popular. Thanks, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, TaylorMade Canada wants you to uh, experience Sim 2's unique cap-back design. It'll give you more forgiveness and more distance. More often, experience the all-new Sim 2 irons from TaylorMade. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn more. I'm doing a little mid-podcast read because all the big podcasts do it, okay? just want you to know that. I want it to be just like that. All the cool podcasts do that, okay? Hey, we don't judge. We're, We're... we don't compare ourselves to others. Well, we don't. We're just we just do what we think is right. Timeless fashion for the golf lifestyle is all there at Jonathan Wong Apparel. Uh, I wish I could uh, read all these different brands, but go find out for yourself. Jonathan Wong Apparel Inc. Uh, all his brands are there, and uh, including the fancy shoes that you and I are getting. These will be the fanciest oh. shoes I've had for a long, long time. And I can't deny the most expensive. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. When I when I when I looked at that catalog, I was like, "Wow, I don't I don't even have a pair of shoes that cost that much." <laughs> but you know what? There's a there's a certain person that you know, and I hope we get a chance to 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 talk about these soon because I think a lot of people would, you know, you you get what you pay for. You know, you oh, can totally. You That's can get the thing. What I'm excited about. Uh, working with Jonathan and brands like uh, Fairway and Green yes. is that this stuff is a is is a level up in terms of quality and fit and all that stuff and feel. So it'll be really fun <laughs> to get back to your point. Um, I'm not sure I I have the decorum and habits to to take care of this. Stuff. Well, that's the thing. I, who, do who do we clean these shoes? I haven't cleaned my shoes, uh, but I was going to say, listen, TaylorMade is no different. There are cheaper golf clubs for you to buy. I think everyone understands that. If you're going to buy TaylorMade, you're buying it because you want. Uh, the best and same with Jonathan's stuff. If you're buying that stuff, it's because you recognize that quality costs a little bit more. You know, I mean, a, a set of irons now um, isn't cheap. But having said that, if you want good ones, well, you're going to have to pay for them. And you get, uh, you're, you get value. Absolutely. You get value. You absolutely get value. If you're a golf nerd, you play a lot. And if you don't have clubs that fit you and are not quality a lot of r&d and all that stuff behind it you're not gonna have as much fun (laughs) it makes sense (laughs) sure i don't know you're just funny to me you're like (laughs) you're just like am i selling no 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 and what made me laugh though is is you're just like you're talking about the r&d behind the project i don't think most people are like oh what's they're looking up what's the r&d that taylor made Hey, this is, you know what? I've been in the golf industry for a while, but that was one of the things. Here, a little story. I used to work with Nike Golf. I consulted for them for 10 years. And we're always part of the story was we. For Nike, you have to show that they do as much R&D, a.k.a. science, you know, guys in labs, you know, hitting things into like little test things. Yes, aerodynamics. Yes, exactly. So people no, would go, okay, this stuff is just as legit as Titleist or Callaway no, or TaylorMade. I don't even think. I don't. I don't even think those other uh, those other uh, brands exist. Hey, um, <laughs> the reason I wanted to uh, did you send me? 
Did you send me this? Because uh, there's so much stuff that goes back and forth between us in a week. Did you send me the three phases of golf? Or did somebody else send me this? Was that? Oh, no, I didn't send you that. Well, this is what I thought. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's called the uh, two, three rule. The two slash three rule. And um, the, the article begins. It's, it's from, uh, who's this guy? He's called Practical Golf. Did you have you ever seen his stuff? No, but here's yet another a practical golf scratch attitude. All oh, these wonderful names. Yeah, so practical golf. Actually, that's where I got it from. My buddy Ken Osborne at Scratch Attitude. Mm. Uh, he tweeted this, and then I saw it, and it's a really interesting concept. I wanted to throw it by you, see what you thought of it, Tim. Uh, throw it. So what is the two slash three rule and what it means for your game? As golfers, we all have completely interpret in different interpretations of how our rounds go. He says, my gut feeling is that most golfers are way too hard on themselves and they often have wildly unrealistic expectations. I love that sentence of what their performance should be on the course. Then in bold letters, no matter how hard we try, we just can't accept the fact that golf is a mostly is mostly a game of mistakes. So he said, I don't know. Uh, he goes on to talk about how many rounds of golf he's played. But he said, I'd like to dispel the myth that you need to be firing on all cylinders in all facets of the game in order to become better. So the three phases of golf, he's broken them down, tee shots, approach shots, and finesse shots, anything inside 100 uh, yards. And he says, when I think about the better rounds I've ever played, I generally have only been able to be great in two of these three areas. And then he goes on, and I, and I totally relate to this. He says, I've had rounds where I shot par that featured great ball striking from the tee and my approach shots, but I ended up having 36 putts. So you can kind of see where this is going. And as the article goes on, he talks about how what you're really trying to eliminate is the big fat zero where nothing is going right. <laughs> and, and, I, and I know from my own experience, and maybe you'll relate to this, and I hope others will as well. Because there's often times where we get too fixated on one of those areas. You know, you're hitting it bad off the tee. So that occupies your whatever on, you know, your your uh, frustration. So you're not paying attention to maybe having good approach shots and getting up and down around the greens. Anyway, I, I recommend this. It's called Practical Golf, the 2-3 the rule. But I, I, I love the idea that if you can be good in two of those three areas... You know, I've had lots. Of, I mean, I have not been driving the ball uh, exceptionally well this year. I've had a lot of rounds where I've kind of been hitting this sort of necky cut 235 yard kind of, you know, not that great tee shot, but it's not putting me in trouble. So I've had some decent scores because even though I've not been hitting it great, it's been putting me in places where I can play from. But, you know, a lot of us, we get fixated. I do on putting. You know, I have some rounds where, gee, I'm not really putting that well, but I'm hitting 12 and 13 greens. So what? <laughs> you know what I mean? But I love the idea that the idea that our expectations, our, our story, as you would say, that's the thing that's frustrating us because our expectations. And I think I started this last week are so wildly out of out of whack. We don't have a chance. Coach. Yeah, uh, there's so much good stuff in there. Um, you know what it reminded me of when you, this 2-3 rule is I remember Johnny Miller saying, and uh, he said that uh, 
day, you got days where uh, you're driving it well, irons are good, putting's bad, or putting's great, and irons are whatever. Yeah. He says, if you get all three going, you win the U.S. Open. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Here, here's a sentence I, I love. He said, um, there are so many golfers that just assume they need to be good at every part of the game in their rounds. They are on short mental leashes. Absolutely. And, and well, I think that's the point. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Okay, well, you know what? This is this happens to people throughout life. Look at like the Toronto Maple Leafs the last few games. Last night they mercifully won. They weren't getting good goaltending, and it was pulling the whole team down, yeah. which is not unlike putting. Yeah, when we're not putting well, it just it, we get some frustration, and it creeps into your in, into your game. So, so what's the thing that we have to do around that? Well, it's it's starting to use some discipline around. Okay, today's not a great putting day. So, what what are things we can do? Well, <laughs> stop thinking about it. Yeah. Be one. And how do we do that? Look around. We talked about this on and on in the show. Like, look at the trees. Just see what's going on. Uh, one of the things that Carl Morris talked about. I think that you talked with Carl about it. Was that when you walk off the green? Mm-hmm. I think within a few seconds or paces, you're done with what happened on that green. It's like having a post-shot ritual. Yes. When you're done with whatever shot it is, it is done. But if I so may, Timmy, you can move forward. If I may, but let's just back up a second because we. Well, I, I totally know what you're saying. I, I totally understand what you're saying. I should say, but but in the context of this, if you're having a bad putting round, if you have an, if if you can buy into this, and I do, that. If you look at the days that you're not maybe sharp around the greens, the problem with us, myself for sure, is I have let that inform the rest of my game. Exactly. Where where knowing or, or starting to buy into the idea that really two out of three is pretty good. One out of three will, as he said, two out of three and you're going to shoot a decent round to good round. One out of three should be you could probably get your average round. You know, like if you're hitting it pretty good off the tee, and you're not in trouble off the tee, and maybe your approach shots are a bit scrappy, and you're not putting that well, you could probably still get it around in a decent score. If two of your three um, uh, factors are, are firing, you're going to have a great score. The problem is, what happens, as he said, we're on such mental short mental leashes, the second we hit a tee shot into the trees, a lot of us, the hole's over. Exactly. You you don't you don't realize. Okay, well that's a t. I watched golf last night, as I do on Thursday nights sometimes. And what I paid attention to is this: I paid attention to two things: how many bad shots I saw, and how many shots to the green that were thirty and forty feet, and how far were they? I wasn't nerding. Okay, I was just one step short of writing it down. But my <laughs> my point is. It's why should we expect to not hit shots in the trees when I watched several world class players hit shots in the trees? The difference between most of us and them, we think it's their swing. But I think you'll agree that it's their ability to go to the next shot and play from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. The thing that we like, we've been on a really interesting sort of. path the last couple of shows uh which i love in that we are so misinformed uh in in this golf culture we're in that we think that the pros always hit it great Mm -hmm. 
and that they're all Zen masters. Yeah. And they don't they don't ever uh, they're just as whacked out as the rest of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. But and even worse, you, you imagine if you're playing golf to put food on your table, pay the mortgage. Oh, my God. But they also have process. The reason they're playing at that level is that they're also way more mentally resilient. Yes. And they have processes to get them through. And those processes include the ability to hit a shot that went offline or was horrible or looked bad, a shank even, and to leave it behind them. So when they get to the next shot, they're ready to go again. Whereas the what happens for most of us is that we have this story. We're supposed to hit it great. We're not supposed to hit it in the trees. We're not supposed to do this. So we get caught in this sort of maelstrom of thoughts. Oh, I suck. Uh, this is bad. Blah, blah, blah. And you just ride this emotional roller coaster. Yeah, exactly. And, and you never, you know, like I haven't really, you know, I, I like to dig around in my golf swing. I'm, you know, I'm, I really enjoy that part of it. But in terms of my golf game, the last couple of summers, you know, whatever success that our progress I've made has had less to do with my golf motion even though there's the same things I've been working on forever in terms of getting a little bit more posting, whatever, whatever. But what's yep. what's the biggest takeaway for me for two or three seasons now, at least, is the ability to make a bad score and follow that with a good score or an okay score. Because, and this the reason I love this article and these types of discussions is because that, I think, is the secret sauce. The secret sauce is, you know, hitting a terrible tee shot terrible tee shot I, I teed off on the first hole of the canadian seniors two years ago i i no one could even see my tee shot it was so bad it was into the sun i was so nervous i sky toe chunk flubbed my hybrid no one even saw it but thankfully we found it then i chunked i totally sawed chunked a five iron like just the worst that i'm just embarrassed and then i had about 80 yards to the green and i sank that shot now <laughs> Sure, it's lucky I sank it, but the moral of that story is I still had the presence of mind to try and hit the best shot I could with my third shot. Now, that is something I didn't possess. And I can tell you from Golf Spiritual Leader, um, that is the <laughs> single biggest thing that I have learned to do that has made me a better golfer. Not, yes, I see. And I know people say, oh, it's easy. You can hit a golf ball. It doesn't matter. I hit so many shitty shots in a round. You wouldn't believe it. You're just such a mature man now. No. And not just chronologically. <laughs> like the time you spent on this earth. <laughs> you can, no, but. If you could see my nursery, you would not think that's where a mature man lives. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> Mature. Is getting better at this game requires um, a degree of maturity. You go from a stage of when you start to become a, a um, fairly more proficient in your ball striking – you think it's all about that. And then you learn about this thing called course management. Yes. And it's about, okay, I have to be able to hit my ball where I can find it next and go ahead. So you start to get that part of the game going. Then there's this other part of game, of uh, which we come to all the time, is awareness. Yes. And I've hit a shot into the boonies. Ah, oh, crap. Well, yeah, you're disappointed for sure. You might even thump the ground. Yep. But how you go forward is the ability to say, oh, Okay, yeah, I'm a little ticked here right now. 
Oof, better leave that going so that when I get to this next one, I'm ready to go. And I find it and I'm ready and I can see, oh, that's not so bad. Punch it out there, wedge on, maybe I make a par. Maybe make bogey at worst. Well, and that's what a lot of amateurs do is they get in trouble. They're mad because, again, the expectations are so out of whack that they don't try and chip it out. They try and chip it through the trees. It's like that shot that, you know, the shot that Spieth tried to hit in the Masters. Yep. That that was just, you know, that was a great example of somebody, you know, the pathway to bogey was to the left. I mean, he ended up making a triple bogey on that hole for no yeah, other yeah. reason than he hit the, then. And that's the former number one player in the world made a mistake that if you or I were on that bag, we wouldn't let him make winner of three major championships. Yep. You know, what's also interesting is that. So here's something that that unfortunately there, there's there's payoff and cost and everything. Phil Mickelson at the Masters hits that shot off the pine straw, mm-hmm. you know, that on the green, and mm-hmm. that was the year, you know, he went on to win his second or third green jacket or whatever. Um, there's many times in Phil Mickelson's life, even in majors, where he's hit really bad shots. Yeah, the but U.S. People, Open, yeah. yeah. At the U.S. Open, yeah, exactly. When he lost, it, that was where... Um, the Aussie one. And yeah, I like him. I can't remember. I can see him, but I can't remember Jeff, his name. Jeff Ogilvy. Ogilvy. That's right. Jeff Ogilvy. Yeah. So, but unfortunately, this is the type of thing that golfers get in their heads is, oh, I got to be brave and, and have go for it. Like, Phil, go for it. Well, folks, <laughs> most of the time, it ain't going to work out like that. I'm just sorry. It's just not to. Um from time to time, what happens when we're in the trees and whatnot, our brains kind of get a better idea of what we need to do. I mean, there, there's that part of it, but it, it's playing to what's realistic and what's going to allow me to score better. And most of the time, it's that conservative uh, mindset. Okay, you know, if I can't hear the worst I'm going to make is a bogey. Well, a lot of people are doing, uh, they, you know, like rather than trying to make the bogey once you're in trouble, is they're sort of saying to themselves, well, how can I, you know, make par here? And in doing that, end up making a lot more. To, to the two out of three rule, this is a great thing he says here. You know, how many times have we hit a horrible, you know, shot from the fairway and you chunk it, right? Just kind of like I described. You're 40 yards to the green. You rush up to your ball, hastily pull out your wedge. You don't give any thought. Um to calming yourself down and making sure you can just get the ball on the green. He said, instead, you're still cursing yourself. And this is totally me for a long time. Instead, you're still frustrated over the swing that got you there. He says, those are the moments where you go from a one out of three round to a zero out of three round at the time. At the time, it may not seem like it, but that 40 yard wedge is probably one of the most important shots of your round. Not the one that got you there. And it goes to what my buddy Henrik said to me years ago. He said, it's it's because we all know this or maybe you don't. But, you know, they, they say you never want to follow a bad shot with another bad shot. That's and, right. and that's what gets that's what got uh, Spieth in trouble. That's what's getting most of us in trouble, gets us in trouble. But you only need to follow a bad shot with an OK shot. Not exactly. a great shot. In the in the case of the 40-yard wedge to the green where you've just chunked it, rather than try and nip it to that short side pin, just get it on the green. Get your 30-footer, 20-footer, two-putt it. 
get the bogey because what that does is it, and Paul always says it's good follows good, and it doesn't mean good shots. It means good decisions. Exactly. Follow good decisions, and at the end, you add that up, and those good decisions save you a percentage of strokes per round, you know? And that's all that, all that is, is acquiring enough okay shots to do okay, you know? Oh, exactly. Well, I'm going to do a little bit of a... So next week, we're going to have uh, another one of our friend of show uh, for a long... It's Carl Morris, one of the top performance coaches in, in Europe. And one of the things that Carl talks about, uh, I learned from him, is that that we rarely spend time focusing on in-between shots. And that time, and that's most of golf is between shots. And I remember learning from him a, a really important lesson that I, that I work with all my clients on is that indeed have a pre-shot process, you know, whatever it takes for you to get ready for a shot, but also have a post-shot process so that you can let go of whatever shot. So let's say, you know, for uh, hit a drive and, and for me, the miss is often left. So let's say I do that. Oh, really? It's, you know, and, but what I would then do, let's say maybe if I had time, maybe a practice swing. Okay. That's what it feels like. But then I would have a process for me. My post shot process is as soon as the club goes in the bag and I hear it hit the bottom of the club, the bottom of the bag, the shot's over. I am done with that shot. Do, do I do it all the time? Well, no, because I'm a human, but. What I'll try and do is like, as soon as that club is back in the bag, that shot is done. My focus comes on my partners out there, whatever, what, anything but the last shot. And that allows me to sort of draw a line, move on. So when I get to that next shot, I'm ready and I can go through my process. So I'm ready to hit that shot. You know, a lot of the stuff we talk about and have talked about, you know, obviously now for years is the idea that golf, you know, how this all began and he references this, references this a lot in the article, but you know, golf is not a game of perfect changed my idea of what would make me a better golfer. And that was 1995 and it's kind of Rotella, right? And, And it's kind of what it was the jumping off point for our relationship, you and I. And, and I think a lot of people who gravitate toward this kind of golf talk know of the idea. But, but the thing is, it's, it's taken me 30 years to understand that what he really means is that you have to be comfortable knowing that mistakes are going to happen every time you play. Every time you play, not every you, there, you're not going to have many three out of three rounds where all of those things are firing. You know, I had one nine holes last summer, one nine hole stretch where I was hitting it the best I'd hit it all summer, putted great. My approach shots were fine. It was just it was crazy. In fact, it was so good that it was making me a bit nervous. It oh, was yeah. like I was out of your comfort zone. I was, it made me uncomfortable. Because every shot I hit was close to the face of the club and I was a couple under par and it was unsettling. But what I think Bob Rotella has shown me and I think a lot of our listeners is that being comfortable from the first tee, knowing that you could hit that thing out of bounds and then what are you going to do? 
that's how I've mitigated some of the insanity that I go through, you know. You know, I talked to our friend Kent Osborne the other day, the Scratch Attitude guy, and I said, you know, my biggest joy so far this year, and I'm just being honest, is I played nine rounds of golf, and not once when I was finished did I want to punch myself in the face. (laughs) But that's just the truth, you know. Like, if I can, my goal this year is to have whatever the round of golf is, the club championship, the senior Ontario, a qualifier, whatever it is, I just want to finish the round feeling lighter, than I did at the start because oftentimes I'm like a lot of golfers. I just feel devastated. Can you imagine devastated? Oh, totally. After, after playing, being with like three friends on a golf course, a beautiful place, you know, really, I mean, it's, it's just not logical at all, but the interesting thing about this is so, yeah. So we talk, a lot of people would say our game focuses on the mental part of golf. So thus thinking. So if, if you kind of take a look at it, where do our emotions come from? Where do we feel? Why do we feel devastated? Because of our thinking, the stuff that was going on, all the, you know, oh, I'm not as good a golfer as I thought. When am I ever going to get this? Blah, 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 blah. So the thing that that really what the thing I'm trying to express and taking a long time to do it is thinking leads to more thinking and more thinking and leads to bad feelings. So is if we can just kind of become aware that all this stuff that's going on, all this thinking, if we can just kind of like, okay, thoughts, just let that go. We'll let the story go. We'll try not to figure this out. Let's just enjoy where we're at. That could be looking around, it mm-hmm. could be really listening to the people we're playing with rather than half listening, nodding in the right places as we try and figure out our backswing. <laughs> it's just letting go of all that thinking and just more of sort of we're, we're, we're being rather than doing so much. You know, a couple of years ago on the show, I was talking, I had this phrase where I, you know, I was to call, you know, was, we were talking, I think at, I had this idea of being the anti-fragility and becoming bulletproof. And, and I think at the time, I understood that to have a mental component. But, but a part of me, I think at the time, also thought if I could just get my... And, and again, I think a lot of golfers will relate to this. If I could just you know, practice the right way or I'd have the right swing thought or if I could just get the right coach or if I could just spend, if I could move into Ledbetter's basement, if I could, you know, <laughs> if I could just have Sean Foley caddy for me, then I would be amazing. But in actual fact, it goes to what this article has reminded me and I bring it to you, which is being bulletproof as a golfer. And this is what I wrote on Twitter. I have it in front of me. I said, what, I've under, what I understand from this being bulletproof as a golfer is learning that golf is about accepting mistakes and then playing on. And I put, that's all we can do is just play on and, and play on, I think is going to become my new mantra. I know it's not mine, but I like the idea that we just need to play on whether it's your routine or mine, whatever that is that allows you to go to the shot after you've just hit a horrible shot and to play on from that point. You know, there's a great book, Golf from Point A. And that kind of is that thinking that every shot, it's not A to B to C to D. It's A to A to A. And that will improve your scores, but it will also improve your equanimity throughout the day because... 
You know, you never know when a, another mistake is going to pop up. You also never know when you're going to chip in on 18. Exactly. And so I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going like, okay, well, Howard's a, you know, a scratch or one or two handicap and uh, easy for him to do. But actually, the, the better you are at this game, the more you're connected to it. I mean, and there's more that when things don't go right, there's more like a, a feeling that can happen. So my sense is that, so how do I play on? How do I do that? To me, again, it always comes back to what am I thinking about? What am I aware of? So you got a couple holes, Howard, where it's not going so great and you find yourself starting to think like, oh, I'm doing that thinking thing again. I'm <laughs> I'm starting to, you know, go through my roll of the extra swing thoughts. What do I need to do? <laughs> Stop right. thinking about that nonsense. Yeah. And, I, and, for, and that you could so say that, well, that would be playing on or just you know, you're, you've just three putted and you're staring a laser beam through your shoe of grief and anger. Oh, oh, I'm doing that thing again. Yeah. What could I do? Well, I could look around, listen to the birds, whatever. And that could be a version of playing on. So, so much of, I, I think what this game, the challenge is, is being aware of our thinking and just say, oh, I let that go. I'm not going to let that have a grip on me. I'm not going to have my thinking dictate how I feel and what I sense about myself. And I'm just going to play on. I love that. You don't need to be perfect to have a great round of golf, he says. You need to be patient with yourself. At least one part of your game is going to fail you. If you can remind yourself the mistakes are okay and have the mental resolve to dig in or play on when they occur. So is this from this... Sorry, he says, let me just finish the sentence. Yeah, it is. It's from this article. He says, if you have if you can remind yourself that mistakes are okay and have the mental resolve to dig in when they occur, your scores will improve. He says, that's it. Yep. That's all there is. Absolutely. He said, if you if you don't have the mental resolve to deal with your mistakes, and I'm talking to myself, if you don't have the mental resolve to deal with your mistakes, then you won't reach your full potential as a golfer. And I know listening, you know, sure, if you're a 12 handicap, you, maybe you wonder if you can become a seven. But we've said this for six years now. And every show is another version of if you want to reach whatever your full potential is, the idea that every facet of your game at some point is going to suck in a round of golf. Well, there you go. You know, I've been frustrated by my putting for a while, but it's not always bad. I just don't recognize when it's, you know what I mean? Like. There are certain days that, that the idea I watched TV last night, I watched every eight foot putt and thought to myself, 50 50, because it ain't going in on the PGA Tour more than half the time. And you know what, Tim? Half the time they missed it. Yeah, absolutely. So what's so cool about that is let's talk about putting. So let's say you play on uh, on a Friday late afternoon and you have a kind of a crappy putting round, 36, 37 putts. You go on Saturday, and uh, whoa, one putt, two putt from 40 feet, one putt from 15 feet. What's different from Friday to Saturday? Who knows? Right. Who knows? And the same, like, why one day are you hitting a soft draw, and the next day you're leaving it out to the right? Well, who knows? It's a mystery. Maybe you slept on your shoulder funny. I don't know. Exactly. So what do you do? Well, maybe if you're leaving out to the right, 
well, let's aim a little bit left, <laughs> you know, or just that that's going to happen. But the thing that I find that is so interesting to me is we're trying to in this game, we're trying to find salvation in some kind of move or belief or feeling that comes and goes. Yeah, we just can't replicate those things and so back to what you're saying is that if i can just accept one day that um today's kind of a a crappy putting round, okay or today i'm not turning over my five iron and i'll just play with whatever i got well and to also to understand that that's every day you know i was smiling because sometimes i'm on i've been on the range and i just remember this when i yeah and it's not people i doesn't have to even be people i know but i'll listen to somebody talk to their buddy as they're warming up about how they played the last time. They're like, oh man, I was really, really doing this great the last time. Or I really think I figured that out the last time. And I always smile to myself. I'm like, well, it's a new day, partner. Who knows exactly. Who knows what's going to show up? And it's the idea. And I think a lot of us that gravitate toward golf do so because maybe we feel powerless in other parts of our lives and we want to control this thing and it turns out that it's just like every other part of our lives that if you let some of that control go some good things might happen but at the very least you won't feel so anguished during this thing you're supposed to enjoy exactly and so um (laughs) one of the things i love about doing this show is that that uh I keep learning about books I need to to read from you and you learn from me. So I'm reading a book uh, by a fellow named Sam Jarman. And um, I came upon this thing yesterday that was so cool. I hadn't really considered this before. And that he said in a warm-up, I wish we were playing, gosh, so I could put this into action. He says, in a warm-up, what often happens is we, you know, and I'll use this, my own example, use the I word. I'll go out there and go like, oh, I'm supposed to be cutting my irons. This is what I've been working on. I've been cutting my irons. But I keep hitting a soft draw. And, well, well Sam Jarman would say, well, that would be your shot for the day. Mm-hmm. So rather than going out going, okay, where's that fade? Where's that fade? Where's that fade? Is going out to the range going and saying, like, what do I got today? And, it, oh, today I got a kind of a soft draw going. That's the shot today. So instead of going to this place of like, oh, where's that thing I had yesterday? Mm-hmm. And what was I doing that caused that to happen? Playing with this sense of acceptance of, oh, that's what the golf god doled out today. And isn't it interesting because, and we've said this next thing a thousand different ways, but it's still true, <laughs> which is you can't control the physical aspect of golf, it's just we feel different. As I said, you may have, your shoulder might be tighter. Your hip turn may not be the same fluidity. Maybe you had the right amount of beer during the second half of the round, whatever. <laughs> but what you can control every day, what you can be, the irony is the only thing that is achievable in terms of golf consistency is attitude, approach, and strategy. Those are things you can control. I know it because right. I because I tried to control my golf swing, but I know now at the beginning of every round, I know that there are targets I will try, there are strategies I will employ, and there's an attitude that I have that, you know, like I've I played nine rounds of golf, and I was I was talking with this with Ken. I've had three double bogeys, not because I played so great. It's because every time I've gotten in trouble, I went, oh, here's what I can do, I can make a bogey from here. 
Sometimes I've made par from there, but the only times I made double from there is when I abandoned the strategy. Is when I tried to hit something that I, as soon as I hit it, I'm like, you are, what are you doing? What are you doing? And no, it's like, because as soon as you get off the path, then you can make a double. It's all. So that's what I think is interesting that we do a show about the mental aspect of golf. But in order to improve your golf, you can be mentally consistent. That's all you can control. Absolutely. And so um, I had an interesting chat with Peter Mumford uh, a couple of days ago. He's editor of Fairways, the greater Toronto area golf magazine. And uh, we've been doing this thing, this monthly thing where he talks, you know, hey, to the coach. He says, what do you want to talk about this month? I said, golf culture. He says, what do you mean? He says, well, it's the predominant way that we think in this paradigm. And it's all this stuff of that we need to do it right. And just back to what you talked about, expectations that we're supposed to do things a certain way. You're supposed to hit the fairway all the time and all of this. And, and then if it goes wrong, well, it must be because I'm pronating rather than supinating. And I'm doing this with my right elbow and I'm not doing all this. And I just was telling to Peter, I said, it's really unfortunate to me is that the predominant culture is you have to hit it great to have fun. Your salvation is mechanics. And I'm thinking like, you know what? Golf is way bigger than that. If you go out to me, go with a sense of, uh, of play and freedom and discovery. You're going to have way more fun. And the irony is you're going to play better golf. Am I going to be happy if I hit it? crappy no but if i have the right attitude to what you're talking about the irony is i tend to play better and have more fun and i get over the the disappointments and i don't get overly i just don't get thrown off i think also you in in employing that attitude also has for me helped me take it less personally and I, i started thinking about that last summer quite a bit at the end of the season about how golf shots aren't me they're just something that happened. And, you know, I'll get let me finish up today by saying, you know, like Ronan mentioned decade. I mentioned decade the last couple of weeks. I've reached out to one of the two guys that run decade because Scott's Scott Fawcett is just overwhelmed right now on the well, heels of the, the whole Zalatoris the Zalatoris thing. thing and the and Chambly talking about him during the Masters coverage. But I, I reached out to Lou and one of the things that decade does, and it's not just for elite players. There's a, a whole section there for just your everyday 80 shooter. You know, I think if you're an 85 or under shooter, it's fantastic. Even if you're a 90 shooter, there's some things in there you'll that we're talking about. But one of the things that Decade does is it gives you a realistic sort of approach to um, how to play the game. It has nothing to do with, you know, whether you're hitting 10 or 12 or whatever greens. It's all about what are the likelihoods what are the outcomes that you can expect that will maybe keep you... So when you make four bogeys in a row, which we've all done, or a couple of doubles, or whatever that thing is that bothers most of us, that you'll realize that over the course of the round of the season, just employing a more sort of realistic strategy, eventually you'll get to where you want to go, which, you know, we all want to have fun playing golf. I know. But let's not lie to each other. We all want to shoot 
the lowest scores we can and uh, achieve golf fulfillment that we all suspect. There's a great golf galaxy commercial. I don't know if you've seen it where it says we all so something to the effect of be the golfer that you suspect you really are. Like you'll finally get to be the golfer you believe is inside you, but it has nothing. It's more of an inside out as opposed to an outside in. Absolutely. And to me, um, so every once in a while, people will get into that thing called the zone. And we think, what happened there? Did the golf gods just spread some little dust on me that allowed me to do something, play above my head? No. When you're in the zone, you're actually playing at your level of capability. Mm-hmm. You're finally tapping into what you're capable of. But the problem is, is that we so much self-interfere. And the point that I want to attach to what you're talking about, the identifying around it. The thing that people, they don't connect the dots. Again, so much of, again, I feel like I'm ranting on the golf culture thing is that, you know, have a bad round with your wedges, run to the range to work on your wedge. Well, what if you didn't live and die with every shot? Your identity didn't rise and fall with every shot. See, because what will happen is, is that you follow, sort of rather than spiking, you know, uh, anger, and then frustration and sadness and lose focus and resignation. You cannot play when you're in a state of anger, cortisol, tension. You're not focusing. You're not able to take in what's actually going on because you got your head is going and your your body's in a state of alarm. So when you're not identifying, when you're just kind of able to roll better, just let, it's more fun. But you play better even if you don't have an ideal swing and you're leaving your five irons out to the right or you're maybe chunking your wedges a bit you still play better and um well that's a great way to finish let's all learn to play better i'll tell you what i'll do i've sent you that article from uh, practical golf i'll also attach well, wrote it. it sorry that's why i interrupted you and i'm oh, sorry no no wrote I, it. I, I i don't remember the guy's name it says he has a site called practical golf okay, and he, right. he does reviews and articles right. and what i'll do is i'll just attach it uh, uh this weekend when we uh put the uh show up which uh will hopefully be today but uh, our producer, Phil, is uh, in Cambodia. That's a long story. Humble and Fred uh, fans know why. Anyway, we'll try and get the show up as quick as we can. O'ConnorGolf.ca. That's where you go for all things Tim. HumbleandFredRadio.com. Uh, that's where you can find out uh, the uh, the program that I do. Thanks to Ronan. And thanks to Rudra. And as always, thanks to uh, TaylorMade Canada and Jay uh, Jonathan Wong Apparel Inc. Uh, go check out those uh, fine supporters of this fine program. Until next time, Coach. Yeah. Well, now you step inside, but you don't see too many faces.